Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's read it together. The Word of God says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And let's pray. Lord, thank You for this beautiful verse, this incredible account of You showing uh, Isaiah Your glory. And Lord, I pray today that we would learn from the Bible these moments of sacred visions and that from the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit we could have our own sacred visions. We could see what you want us to see that would truly uh, change our lives. So speak to our hearts, we pray, and magnify thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach a message this morning entitled Sacred Visions. Sacred Visions. And so our theme for the year is vision. We've talked an awful lot about different aspects of vision. But as I look through the Bible, I see that there are some sacred visions. There are some times when God spoke to people and showed them things that were absolutely life-changing. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited that in my life, God has showed me things that are truly life-changing. Now, before the completion of the Bible, God communicated often through dreams and visions. And we understand that today we have the privilege of the complete Word of God. They did not have the Bible in those days. Today we have the written Word of God. And we learned recently that it is better to have the Bible than to see occasional visions of God Himself. Second Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 16-21, through 21, we talked about that. God speaks to us... Through His Word. Now let me say, God is not limited. God can certainly speak uh, in different ways if He chooses. God can choose to show Himself supernaturally. I've heard stories by missionaries on the field, uh, different peoples and different times and different tribes where God has done things out of the ordinary to get people's attention. But let me say, in those cases, they're usually rare. And they're usually in a way to point people to the Scriptures. It's not God speaking outside of the Scriptures. And by the way, if you think God's telling you something and it disagrees with the Scripture, it's not the Lord. Because God in the Scripture will always agree. It is His Word, by the way, right? And so uh, God's not limited. Uh, However, in this age, God speaks to us primarily through His Word. And so that's why it's so important to have you read your Bible and pray and listen to preaching and all of those things, because God needs to speak through His Word. And uh, uh, today we're going to talk about some sacred visions found in the Scripture. These are occasions when God showed people things that absolutely changed them. It changed their lives, it changed the direction of their lives, it changed how they thought about things, it increased their faith. And so uh, I'm praying today that God will show us some of these visions in His Word, these sacred visions, and we'll see the same truths through God's Word. And I'm praying that they will change us as they have changed countless others. Now, some of you may have seen these things, you've had these moments, maybe not these particular scriptures, but you've come to these conclusions in, in your own heart and mind in a way where God made Himself real to you or God spoke to you definitely on a subject through His Word and it changed you. And you're different today because of that. 
And so if you've already had some of these moments, praise God for them. And those things are just as true as they were. But if you haven't had these moments, let's open our hearts today to the Lord to see what God was trying to show us through these sacred visions. And we start here in Isaiah chapter 6, I think one of the most sacred places in the scripture where God opens up uh, the throne room of heaven to Isaiah and God shows Isaiah a vision of himself in all of his glory. And honestly, when I, when I preach and teach on this portion of Scripture, I get really, really affected by it. Uh, there's so much here. So I'm going to do my job. I, I could, I'm concerned that I'm just going like, to stop at point number one and just give it to you. But um, it would be good, but I sense that God just wants us to touch on this today as we look at different things under this idea of sacred visions. And so... Uh, We see, number one, a sacred vision of God, a sacred vision of God. Uh, You need to see God for who he is. Most of the world today has a has a an idea in their mind of who God is, but often it's not the true God. They take bits and pieces of what they've heard. Maybe they heard a TV preacher say this. Maybe they read this. Maybe they heard a spiritual person say this. Maybe they heard a New Age person say this. And sometimes they'll take all of these things and put them in kind of a mishmash in their head. But we need to see God for who He is, not who we think He is. Uh, Sometimes these ideas we have about God become false idols. And because we don't understand who God is, we make decisions wrong decisions based on the wrong ideas. And so God had an important job for Isaiah. He was going to preach for decades to a people that didn't want God. He had a hard job ahead of him. And God showed Isaiah himself. He basically said, for you to accomplish the task I have set before you, you need to see me as I am, like few other people have seen me. Because we understand that when we see God for who he is, it's life-changing. And we'll just take a, a quick moment here and look at these, the sacred vision of God. We see in verses 1 through 3, we see the glory of God. So look at verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. His train speaks of His glory. And verse 2, above it stood the seraphims. Those are special angels that are uh, care, uh, around the, the throne of God, the seraphims and the cherubims, special angels that that uh, are uniquely suited for this task. And uh, they had six wings and, and did some amazing things. Then look at verse 3. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? His glory. See, so we see a vision of the glory of God. God is glorious. God is high above us and far away above us. He's so much greater than we could ever imagine he's able to do above that we would ever ask or even think of his thoughts are above our thoughts his ways are high above our ways as high as the earth is from the heavens uh the bible talks about in later in on on in isaiah and so we see that god is glorious and then this verse also talks about the holiness of god in verse three they cried holy 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 is the lord of hosts and so god is a holy god Holiness is the absence of sin. It speaks of purity. Our God is a pure God. He's not touched with sin. First John says, in Him is no darkness at all. James tells us that God doesn't want us to sin, and He doesn't tempt us to sin. There is no sin in God. And Isaiah began to be shaken to his very core when he saw God 
high and lifted up in all of His glory and holiness. Matter of fact, it's not uncommon in the Scriptures, you see people that even when they see an angel, they would fall on their faces dead. People that saw the Lord, they would fall on their face as dead. I mean, literally, even seeing a, a vision of the, the glory and power and strength of God, their, their bodies would lose all their strength. They would become so overcome with shame, and, and their strength would leave them. They would fall on the ground as dead, like unable to move, so overcome with what they were seeing. My friend, God is so much more glorious than you and I can imagine. And it is a privilege to serve Him. Hey, don't, don't sit here today thinking you're doing God a favor by coming to church. No, He's worthy of it. He's glorious. He's powerful. If you served God this week, if you passed out a track, if you, if you drove a bus this morning, I mean, if, if you read your Bible and prayed or maybe witnessed or you, you did some spiritual thing this week, boy, you got to be careful, folks. He's worthy of it. We shouldn't feel like martyrs for serving God. We should see it as an ultimate privilege. We see the glory of God. Then in verse 4, we see the power of God. Look what it says. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. It's the power of God. At the, the power of his word, the Lord began to speak and everything began to shake just with the very power of His Word. And of course, we know the power of God's Word. The Bible says He spoke things into existence. Let there be light. Let there be. And there was, Genesis says. Then we see when Isaiah saw the glory of God and His holiness and the power of God, then Isaiah saw his own need of salvation. Look at verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm undone. He said, I don't belong here. I'm not worthy to look at this. I'm not worthy to be in the presence. He said, I'm in trouble because I see your power and glory and holiness and I see my sinfulness. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the people of unclean lips. Why, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, folks, the closer you get to God, the more you're going to notice your sin. Because he's pure, he's holy, he's powerful. And if you dwell in the light, First John tells us, that's the only way to have fellowship with God, but that light points out all of our sin. You know, sometimes you'll have Christians and they're in all kinds of sin, but they feel like they're okay. You know, all that does is let, all that does is show that they're not as close to God as they think they are. And then sometimes you'll have someone who's a, I mean, they're fine people. I mean, they're, they're a, seemingly they have a character. They've got the heart. I mean, they, you look at them and say, wow, you're one of the best people I know. But they feel like such a sinner. You know why? Because they're close to God. And Isaiah sensed his need of salvation. Let me just say, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're not born again, there's never been a time in your life you've put your faith in Jesus my friend, then you need salvation. And if you don't think you need salvation, it's because you're not seeing things as they are. If you'd ever see God in all of His glory and holiness and power and see yourself, no matter how good you try to be, you'd look at yourself and say, woe is me, for I am undone. Truly, one of the first things you have to do in order to get saved is to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You have to see your sin is sin and agree with God and acknowledge your need of a Savior. 
Oh, but I like verses 6 and 7. We see that salvation comes from God. Look at verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which when he had taken the tongs from off the altar, he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Oh, the blessedness to be forgiven. To be forgiven. Folks, don't you get tired of feeling dirty? Don't you get tired of feeling guilty and ashamed? Oh, the, the, the wonderful cleansing power of the blood of Christ where you, you step into that forgiveness by faith and you claim Jesus as your Savior and you acknowledge His payment for your sin. And that, that holiness, instead of judging you and consuming you, it washes over you in forgiveness and it takes the guilt and replaces it with peace. It takes the shame and replaces it with security. Salvation only comes from God. You see, when he took the tongues off the altar, the altar in the Bible speaks of judgment. And we know that on the cross, God judged the sins of the world. Think about the famous verse, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. If, if I'm going to pay for my sin, then I have to die, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death in hell for eternity. But, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, the Bible says that we are, if, if we are outside of Christ, if we're not saved, we are one heartbeat away from an eternity without Christ. You say, oh, that's bad news. Oh, but the good news is anybody can come to Jesus anytime, anywhere. How much does it cost? Cost you nothing. Cost God everything. Where do I have to do it? You can do it anywhere. Matter of fact, you can do it right there in your seat. You can do it today, putting your faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging your sin. Being like Isaiah, woe is me, for I am undone. I don't want to go to hell. I see myself as a sinner. I see the holiness of God, but I don't want to go to hell. And God says, then trust me. Amen. And on that cross, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. And on the cross, Jesus took all of your sin and my sin upon him, and he paid for it. Sin was judged at Calvary. Amen. And then when we put our faith in him, he takes... Christ's righteousness and places it upon us. Forgiveness, redemption, freedom. But if you choose to reject the Son of God, then you pay for your sin yourself. Romans 10, 9 and 10, I love these verses, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. Saved from sin, saved from hell. goes on to say, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made salvation. See, salvation takes place in the heart. But then when I tell you, hey, I'm saved, I've trusted Jesus, those words are simply pointing to the faith that is in my heart. Romans 10, 13 what a verse says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I still remember as a 16-year-old boy in the back of Blessed Hope Baptist Church calling on Jesus. 
and asking Him to forgive me and save me. Let me tell you, my life was different from that moment. Did I always do everything I ought to? No. There were times I was closer to God, times I was further away from God. But let me tell you something, that night I put my head on the pillow for the first time. And I had such a peace, it was indescribable. And I'm so thankful for salvation in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're saved, praise God. I mean, don't, don't guess, yeah, yeah, preacher, I know all about that. Man, if that's your attitude, then you've got a heart problem. You ought to be thanking God and say, oh, God, thank you. Oh, God, I can't believe you saved me. God, I can't believe it. I, I, I didn't deserve it, but, man, I'm saved. I'm born again. If something happens to me today, I'll open my eyes in heaven and be there for all eternity. If your heart is calloused and cold about your own salvation, then, my friends, you need to hit the altar today and ask God for some forgiveness and say, God, I want to be close to you. But if you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, then why wait? Why in the world would you leave this place knowing salvation is so free and so available? Why would you walk out the doors lost? We see salvation here in Isaiah chapter 6. And then back to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, we see the humility of surrender. Verse 8 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You see, this was a life-changing moment for Isaiah. He saw God as he is. He saw his glory and his power and his holiness. He saw the power of God. He saw his need of salvation. He saw salvation comes from God. And that God made a way of salvation. And he saw after he, he was cleansed, he said, Man, Lord, you deserve my everything. And let me say that I know a lot of Christians who are saved but aren't surrendered. And if you're born again, if you are saved, then man, if, if God asks you to do something, it should be, yes, sir. Who'll go for me? I will. And I think that when you and I get unsurrendered, when we're saved and we know we're saved, but we start to get resistant to the leading of God, we start to, to despise spiritual things, we start to put... Uh, our priorities begin to change, and now we don't have time for church. We don't have time for God. We don't have time for this. And, and we're more concerned about what people think of us and what God thinks of us. All of those things. What's happening in our heart is we're losing the vision of who God is. Because once we remember who God is and we see that sacred vision, it changes us. Amen. That's a sacred vision. There was a time in my life when God shook me to the core. I'm a preacher today because I said, here am I, Lord, send me. And so many good things have happened in my life. Make sure that you keep yourself in a place that you're always telling God yes. As soon as you start to tell God no, you stop growing. Your heart starts to get hard. And so keep telling God yes, amen? Then we see number two is sacred vision. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. I just preached you like seven sermons in ten minutes. That's pretty good, huh? Those are the shortest sermons I've ever preached in my life. <laughs> Revelation chapter 21. 
I want to say number two, a sacred vision of heaven. We have the book of Revelation because God took the Apostle John. Of course, we know he's on the island of Patmos and and God called him up and began showing him things to come. And how wonderful and terrible the things that in, in the book of Revelation are as they have been revealed. But we see the sacred vision of heaven. I think every child of God needs to get a vision of heaven. This is the eternal home of the redeemed. This is where you're going to spend forever. And I'll tell you what a wonderful place heaven is. Look at Revelation chapter 21. And look at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. And the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Look at verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I want you to look at me. This is the heart of God. God says, I want to spend eternity with you. I love you, and I saved you so that we could be together forever. But you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to be with God. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit today, you can walk with God. You can talk with God. You can pray. You can have Him speak to you through His Word and these wonderful things. And so God wants to be our God. Hey, the next time the devil jumps on your back and says, or whispers in your ear, hey, God doesn't love you, you tell him to be quiet. You say, you point to heaven and say, no, I know God loves me. He, he wants me to be uh, with him forever in heaven. And point him to the cross and say, no, that's how much God loves me. Jesus died on the cross because he loved me and because God loved me. And so uh, st- stop giving Satan these, these, the, the, the opportunity to, to whisper in your ear and change your heart and tell you these lies. Man, look to heaven, get a sacred vision of heaven and say, that's where I'm going to spend eternity. What a blessing. Oh, and I love verse 4. Look at verse 4. Revelation 21, 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Do you see the heart of God? Have you ever looked at a a spouse or a, a child and you see the tears coming down and you wipe those tears away in that act of love? And you see God Almighty looking at the face of His children. And he says, you'll never cry again. Amen. You'll never hurt again. Amen. You say, preacher, I'm hurting today. I'm going through some things. I'm, I'm having financial struggles. I'm having physical struggles. I've been sick. I've got relationship issues. I've got a lot of stress at work. I've got you know, all of these different things going on in our lives. And where is God? Let me tell you something. God's with you if you're born again. And God promised in this earth to be with you. He never promised us in this life that we wouldn't have any problems, but he promised that he would always be with us in our problems. Let me tell you, there's coming a day when God's going to bring you home to his house and he's going to shut the door and he's going to put all the bad stuff out and you'll never hurt again. And he's going to wipe those tears away in a fatherly act of love, wipe those tears away and say, it's okay. Think about that. Well, I want you to have a sacred vision of heaven. It'll change your heart. It'll encourage you during the hard times. It'll get you through the difficulties of life when you have a sacred vision of your eternal home. Look at Revelation 22. It tells a little bit about the heaven. It's a real place. We're not going to be floating around in some gaseous state. I mean, this is a real place. 
Chapter 22, verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I wish I had words to paint this picture. You see the throne of God and the river of water of life trickling out and the trees of life. I mean, these are significant, significant things and in a place of no beauty and no sorrow. And literally the streets are made of gold and lined with mansions. And I mean, good night, folks. It doesn't get any better than that. And look at verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. That's the curse of sin. No more sin. Don't you get tired of disappointing God? You know, we get tired of the sins of others and being hurt by them. But, but folks, I get tired of my own sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to have this pull to do wrong. I don't want to have, don't, don't you ever get tired of just disappointing God or disappointing your spouse or your children or your, your families or these things? And, and one of these days when we're, when we're saved and we're in our glorified bodies, we're going to be completely separated from sin and there will be no more curse. Verse 3, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. You imagine the throne of God speaks of power and authority. And his servants shall serve him. Say, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to serve God. Verse 4, and they shall see his face. You imagine one of these days you're going to see Jesus face to face. How many times I've said, oh Lord, I wish I could see you. I wish I could touch you. I wish you could hold me. I wish you could give me strength. One of these days, I'm going to see him face to face. Our eyes shall behold him, the Bible says. Look at verse 5. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Folks, I want you to get a vision of heaven, sacred vision. How amazing this is going to be. God's not letting you down. God's, God's not a, a, a failed Jew. Yes, we suffer in this life because of the curse of sin. But if I could somehow pull back the veil of heaven and show you what God has planned for you, we'd never complain again. We'd never doubt Him again. Oh, if we could have a vision of heaven. That's good stuff. Look at Exodus 15. See these sacred visions? Exodus chapter 15. I want you to see a sacred vision of healing. Sacred vision of, of healing. We pick this up. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. They sing a song of victory. They get to a place to where there's no clean water. They're in the desert. They finally find water, but the waters are bitter. It's undrinkable, and the place was called Mara. Look at verse 24. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which he had cast in the waters, and the waters were made sweet. It's a wonderful miracle there. There he made for them a statute and ordinance, and there he proved them and said, This is the Lord speaking. The Lord said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, 
and will give ear to his commandments and to keep all of his statutes. This is the Lord. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Look at this. For I am the Lord God that healeth thee. And so they're, they're in trouble, and, and Moses cries out to God, and God speaks to him and says something beautiful. These Israelites, you just saw some terrible things in the land of Egypt. I mean, the, the water turned to blood, and the, the lice, and the flies, and the frogs, and the pestilence, which is disease, and the boils, and, and the, the, the uh, firstborn dying, and all of these things. You just saw all of these terrible things, and now you get out into the wilderness, and, and you don't have water. And the first thing they do is begin to doubt God. See, they had forgotten who God was. He's not the God trying to kill them. He's the God that delivered them. And how many times in this short weeks in the desert did they doubt God? Oh, God just brought us out here to kill us. It would have been better for us if we had died in Egypt. They kept doubting God. Why? Because they didn't have that vision of God, of who He was. So here He teaches them and says, I'm not here to kill you. I'm not going to, to put all these diseases upon you if you keep following me. He says, I'm the Lord thy God that healeth thee. See, God's not a destroyer. He's a healer. Now make no mistake, He will judge sin. And sometimes that involves destruction. That's not the heart of God. That's not the first thing He wants to do. He's a healer. He's a savior. He's a deliverer. And I think about those that have terrible health problems. Think about those that have gone through heart attacks and cancer and those that perhaps are having serious health problems here today. I think about some of the dear folks in our church and some of them are here have just struggled over and over with health problems. I think about my dear wife that struggles so desperately and the doctors give no hope. I think about those who maybe physically they're well but their heart aches and it feels like it'll never be the same. Maybe they've been betrayed or broken Maybe they've, they've seen things that they wish they could unsee. They've experienced hurts that had, they've allowed to define them. I mean, their, their life is filled with pain and suffering. The, the, the pain of the mind, the pain of the heart and the emotions, the pain of the body, the pains of life. But we look to a God that wants to heal. And I, I want to just point everybody today, I wish you could get a sacred vision of healing. Of a God that says, I'm not trying to hurt you. I want to help you. I want to heal you. Now, if you're sick or hurting, God is your help. Here's a a hard truth. Sometimes God will heal the pain. Sometimes he'll take it away. But sometimes God will allow the pain to stay but He'll give you miraculous grace to endure the pain. And we have to settle in our hearts that either way, it's God that gets us through. Either way, it's God that helps us. And He's the healer. And you know what? Let's say that something happens, perhaps a disease comes, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take our earthly life. That happens. But you know, even ultimately in death, we're healed. Because for the Christian, death is not the end, it's the beginning. 
of eternity. And sometimes God heals us in this life, and sometimes God heals us when we die in this life. Our bodies die, and we go on to the next. Amen? I say number four, a sacred vision of help. Uh, you can look this up later. Psalm eighty nine nineteen says, Then thou spakest in a vision to the Holy One, and says, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. This speaks of Samuel anointing David, and God sent David at a time when the country desperately needed leadership, but he was just a boy. But God sent help. God was going to help David. God was going to help the country through David. And I think about God sends help for us. I encourage you today, you're not alone. Trust in God. Write, write this verse down, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. It's the Lord that helps us. And we get a sacred vision for the help of God. God sends help for us. But then we see another vision of help in Acts chapter 16. We see a vision to help others. In the Macedonian call, the Bible says, in Acts 69, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Folks, you're going to have to have a time in your life where God gets a hold of you and gives you a vision that people need you. People need you. And there has to come a time when we stop being takers and we start being givers. Not that we'll always benefit from the help of others. That's not what I'm saying. But I mean, some people never get to the place where they're like, I'm here to help people. I'm here because I've got a job to do. I'm not just here to have people help me. I mean, how many of us know people that they need help? And man, if you don't help them, they're angry and they're upset and they're victims. And ah, the world's against me and everything's wrong. And if you'd just help me, I'd be okay. And it's all about receiving there's got to become a time as a Christian where we get a vision of God where something in us says, I'm not just here to get, although I will be the beneficiary of God's blessing and other people's help the rest of my life. But I'm here to give. People need the Lord. They need the gospel. God has no hands but your hands in this life. He has no feet but your feet. He has no mouth but your mouth. God wants to use you to help others. We see the Sacred vision of help. Then let me show you a last one. Isaiah chapter 58. <clears throat> Isaiah 58. We see a sacred vision of the future. The, often our Lord came to people to tell them what would happen in the future. God would come to them and tell them what they were going to do or what their life would look like. How they were going to impact the world. We see this with Abraham. Noah, Moses, the prophets, and many more. And I remind you today that God wants to give you a vision for your future. And what does God want you to do? What, what are you shooting for in your life? What are your goals? And, and let me just say that if you just have financial goals, although I think you should have financial goals, I think you should have goals as far as health and recreation all those things i'm not against any of that but if you don't have spiritual goals you're not thinking straight as a christian you gotta have spiritual goals who are you going to be spiritually what impact are you going to make on the world spiritually 
And there has to come a time where God gives us a sacred vision of the future where we understand why we're here and what, what our next steps are. And we can look down the road to see and God gives us a vision that this is the impact that I want to make in the world. I'm not talking about just being a preacher or missionary, although if God calls you to that, say yes, man. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, man, the, the water's fine. It's a wonderful life to serve God in that way. But the truth is, most of you, God's going to have you work a job, have a family, rear your kids. But, but there ought to be that part where, man, you are faithful in a local church and you are doing ministries through the church and God is using you at home and at church and in the community to affect the world for His glory. I've talked to so many people, and, and it's not going to matter to you one whit if you're 70 years old and you've got tons of money and you've been all around the world, but you feel like you haven't made a mark in this life for God. It'll be empty. But I've known many people. Man, they're as broke as Job's turkey. Job had a turkey and he was broke. Let me tell you. I don't, know where that, I don't know where that saying comes from. They used to say that when I was growing up. I'm as broke as Job's turkey. I mean, they're broke, maybe sick. Maybe they've never been anything. They haven't seen the world. Maybe they haven't done all of these things. But their funeral, at their funeral, the house will be packed. People will be weeping because they have a legacy where they've changed people for God's sake in this life. So I encourage you to get a sacred vision for the future. This is a verse that God gave me as a young man in college. It may not mean much to you, but it means an awful lot to me. And if I ever sign a Bible, often I'll use this verse, Isaiah 58, 12. It says, And they that shall be of these shall build up the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. Now shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. You know, this verse means a lot to me as we see our world turning away from God. We see our country turning away from the past of honoring God. We see people lost. And not just spiritually lost. I mean, they're lost in life. They just don't even know anymore. It's not that they're even rebellious against God. They have no idea what God says. They just don't know. And I see in this, and I ask that the Lord would allow me to build up the old waste places. To take the old things that... The old paths and the old things, the ways of righteousness and the ways of of godliness and rebuild those. Draw people back to the old time way and the scripture and salvation and and spirit fullness and getting out the gospel and love for God and holiness. I see that thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And you might think this is crazy, but folks, I don't want to just help you. I want to help your kids and your grandkids. If God tarries, I mean, we could, we could do some things in this life that generations from now, people are still blessed because of what happened here or through you or through me. That is the work we're involved in. They see thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, 
I want to I fill up some of those places, the breaches that have been made in the, the work of God and the, the thinking about God and, and, and spirituality. I want to draw people back to the way things should be and fix some of the holes that are breaking through because of liberalism and modernism and, and all of these things. And the restore of paths to dwell in. Folks, people need to know how to live. They need to know how to live. I mean, how do you have a good marriage? How do you raise your kids? How is church supposed to work? How are you supposed to live as a Christian? And without, when, when people get separated from the Bible, they lose all of these things and, and a restore of the paths to dwell in. Well, if I could just help people get back to God's way of living. Well, that verse may not mean much to you. And you might hear that and say, boy, preacher, that's weird. You know, some of you might even be saying, well, preacher, I hate to break it to you, but you're not a very good preacher at all, let alone helping other people. You're not even helping me right now. And maybe that's true. But I tell you, this is a vision that God gave a young man to say, maybe with God's help, I'm just a country preacher. I'm just a boy from the Midwest in the country, and nobody cares who I am. Nobody knows my name, and I don't mind that. But what if, what if God could use me to do things beyond my comprehension? And I'm telling you that God can use you to do far more than you imagine. God can use you in ways that you can't conceive. But as long as you look at yourself and you say, well, I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this and I won't do this and I won't do this and I won't do this. Satan has you pigeonholed to where you'll never become what God wants you to be. But what if you could get your eyes off of yourself and put them on Him? What if God could give you a verse or the Holy Spirit could speak to your heart and say, this is who I want you to be. This is what I want you to shoot for. I'm telling you, and I'm looking around the room today, and I see so much godly potential. It's astounding. It's astounding what God could do with the people under the sound of my voice. But I wonder if you see it. You see, there's got to be a time in your life where you have a sacred vision of your future. This is the direction I'm heading. This is what God wants me to be. Sacred visions. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We saw sacred visions of God, of heaven, of healing, of help, of the future. Have you seen these powerful things in the Bible? Have you had these moments where God through His Spirit and His Word has changed you? If so, then don't lose sight of that, man. Satan will spend your whole life trying to get you off track. Don't lose sight of it. You say, preacher, maybe I haven't heard these things. I haven't considered these things. Would you open your heart to God? Would you pray about it? Would you say today, Lord, what would you have me to do? Would you ask God to speak to your heart? I mean, ask Him now to change your life. Change it for the better. I mean, ask God to change your life. Why are we holding on to things so much? Why, why are we so committed to our own way of doing things? One of these days, you're going to hit a, a wall and you're going to say, you know what, I should have done it God's way all along. Let's start today. If you're here this morning, you're not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. 
In just a moment, we'll have an invitation. We'll stand, the piano will play. Christians will come forward to pray. If you're not sure you're saved, take a step out, walk towards the front. We'll, we'll take a Bible and show you how you can know. Maybe you just have something you need to pray about, something on your heart. The altar will be open. Father, pray that you'd bless the rest of the service. Help us now as we seek you, open our hearts and minds, give us some sacred visions through your word, through your spirit that change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.